Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. <laughs> pounds, pounds. Shaking her head. <laughs> we are here today. Oh, I get it. I get that. We're here today to put the her in oh the she in Shelshius. <laughs> well, Shelshius. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> go. Shelshius. Okay. I do that too, though. When I'm trying to fit one in, I just add. <laughs> She or her to like all of them, and it's like, oh wait, doesn't have to. Celsius. Celsius. This is not an ad for the drink Celsius, although. Um, or for the temperature. Or yeah, get it together, Canada. Um, <laughs> Slash the rest of the world. Slot. Yeah, get it, everyone. Can you get it together? Together. Listen, thirty-eight point five degrees is cold. It is. It's not homeostasis. It's not. Uh, I'm drinking the drink Celsius. It's um, it has two and you know what I know about it is that it has two hundred milligrams of caffeine and no calories and um, okay, it has ten calories, but that's the kind of thing that I love. <laughs> I love things that are full caffeine uh-huh. and no calories. Yeah, <laughs> just get... which is caffeine a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just straight caffeine. <laughs> um, it, this is what gets me through the two o'clock hour or to the gym. So, okay. so, like, one or yeah. the other. It's like, I'm Have not... you, like, been been into, been doing, like, any, like, pre-workout things or anything like that? N- this is my... I mean, specifically, you know how they, like, throw the powder in their mouth? And I am then... not into dry scooping. I have seen someone, no. like, almost die, die from yeah. accidentally inhaling pre-workout. I'm... <laughs> I feel like that... I'm not going to do that. It'd be bad. Yeah, but, you know... What's the point? What's the point is, um... Because we're all really tired. No, no, not of caffeine. Oh. I just mean of the dry <laughs> scooping thing. Yeah, I think it's supposed to accelerate the absorption or something, and then you can walk into the gym and well, just so we'll snorting it. hit all your PRs or something, and, you know, just I don't live that it. life. Just, just snort it, guys. <laughs> just snort it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, cat's out of the bag. I drink anyway. Celsius, and I'm not sorry. Um, anyway. Thank you to the... Uh, husband and wife at the FLF conference who shook their hydro jug at me <laughs> whenever they walk by. Clearly, you listen to the show, and here I am with my hydro jug. It's back together again. I know it was a long weekend without her. Without her, <laughs> but uh, I think I drank twenty-seven water bottles uh-huh. a day. That's how it goes when you drink per bottle. <laughs> Why do people drink out of water bottles anyway? Um, we're calling all of you out in this episode. It's the water bottle. All episode. you dry scooping pre workouters. Mm-hmm. All you water, water bottlers. Water, water, water. <laughs> I can't speak. It's all. It's the Celsius. <laughs> Celsius. All right. My name is Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host Joy, and uh, I used to take the time to come up with a little factoid to share with you. Sometimes we still do that, but sometimes it's, <sighs> you know, I do. Uh, 
I have something I can say. Oh, I have something I can say. Okay. That's um say it. Hopefully doesn't just horribly embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. This is a trust fall. I okay. just um so we we were at the Airbnb in uh Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um I found out that and so our bathrooms were next to each other, uh-huh. which is how I found out that sometimes that you sing in the shower. Oh, huh. I yes. didn't know that. And I was like, huh, I learned something about Joy today. <laughs> I actually sing a lot. Joy sings in the shower. I sing kind of and dance a lot, yeah. just in general, but usually not in public. I stood there for a second and kind of did that like look around thing. Like, where's the sound coming from? <laughs> and then I looked at the bath, the wall, and I was like, she's on the other. That's Joy. <laughs> Joy is over there singing. But yes, yes. Do you sing a lot? I guess that's like. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, like, if you do it, you don't necessarily think about other people not doing it. Um, You know, you'd have to ask my kids. I don't know. Do you sing in the shower? I mean, you sound uh, best at the shower. Uh, yeah, obviously. Not that I know. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> my kids say anyway. <laughs> that I sometimes I, I don't know. I don't know. The moral of the story is I thought that was just a fun little fact. A little fact. But I did not know. About you. Um, well, mine's not about you, but I am Joy. So you're right about that. And I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. Joy the sour- shower singer. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> Which not is hard to say. Shower, shower singer. singer. Shower. <laughs> Sh- right. That's Sing exactly what I was thinking. Her. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Anyway. Um, just it's another just Georgia update. Yeah. And like Let's a cute things that she's doing, which is that um, she, the first thing she learned about frogs was that they say ribbit. And so she was calling them ribbit, ribbit. That makes sense. Yep. Then um, she learned that they're called frogs. But for F, she says like a S sound. So she says shrog. And then um, <laughs> she learned that anything Green and reptile slash amphibian like is also a srog. A srog. <laughs> so that, that includes crocodiles. Yeah, srog. Dinosaurs. She knows that and they're all everything. related. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought that was so funny because, like, I don't know. It just um obviously that I could I could have some super deep thoughts about it. Like we all, you know, we can like trust our senses, but we need to, instruction like, and we need to know what yeah. our but yeah, I just thought it was cute that like she, you know, she knows. Mm-hmm. She's like ish. She's like it's, it's, it's a, be a real. It's, it's not it's a strong, but, but it's a it looks like a strong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take her to the um, aquarium. Seriously, when they stop mm-hmm. acquiring masks. Oh yeah, that's right. I was looking into doing something for her birthday at like Butterfly Wonderland or whatever, and then I remembered that. Yeah, they're required. Well, and because it's her second birthday she now she now gets to wear a mask everywhere Mm -hmm. except for we're not going to those places anyway (laughs) anyways anyway uh, summer's been so excited for this episode uh, she has been i read a book for you guys Mm -hmm. even for me i didn't even read the book i i'm not gonna say that okay um (laughs) yep summer's gonna try to say less this episode. Yep. I'm going to try to say less. So uh, I had a lot of people asking us if we could review the book. So today I am going to just provide some commentary. 
on this book. Right. Just, Absolutely. I acknowledge that. <laughs> just providing commentary. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's a book. You're allowed to say. I you think it will be think. a helpful use of time. Something, some, sometimes it is useful. I believe sometimes it's useful to read something that you don't agree with and you know you're not going to agree with it, but you need to know why. Right. You need to know why you don't agree with something um, and do the thought and brain work right. for yourself. Um, and so the book that I read that you guys asked me to read and comment on um, is called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. It has a fantastic um, I just thought it looks, isn't it cute? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Beth Allison Barr. And uh, the subtitle is How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. But in the in, in interest of being fair, Beth Allison Barr did tweet recently, if I had to do it again, I would have changed the title of Making Biblical Womanhood to... The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of White Evangelical Women Became Gospel Truth. Because, she says, white shouldn't be assumed normative. Hashtag always learning. Hashtag mea culpa. Although it is complicated because biblical womanhood is a modern manifestation of patriarchy, which is not limited to white women, obviously. Okay. Just thought I'd let you guys yeah, hear. Yeah, no, that's an important uh, foundational thing to hear <laughs> before we dive into this. Um, so I read the book and I have notes. I also, uh, Kevin DeYoung uh, did a, a review of the book that uh, Mrs. Barr, I don't know how she wants to be referred to. I'm going to say Beth. Okay. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Is that rude? No. Okay. I don't want to be rude. No. I don't think you're trying to be rude, even if... Okay. Beth. <laughs> uh, she did not like Kevin DeYoung's review, but I rather liked Kevin DeYoung's review, and okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate some of his points here because I find them salient. Anyway, the main point of this book is that, and she says this um, herself, that patriarchy may be a part of Christian history, but that doesn't make it Christian. It just shows us the historical and very human roots of biblical womanhood. So you're going to have, just so you know, in this book, um, she uses patriarchy and complementarianism interchangeably. So she she argues okay. that complementarianism okay. is just Christian patriarchy. Uh, and our problems begin there because... Um, I don't believe that that is a fair or accurate description. Complementarianism, uh, the whole paradigm and the naming and the ism itself uh, was born in the 80s as a way to describe a conservative view of gender interactions that got away from the word patriarchy. Right. So she's insisting that you cannot separate the two. Um, And... So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that complementarianism and patriarchy are not the same thing. No. Uh, the people people within what they if they would say that I, yes I am patriarchal 
I believe in that system of gender relations. Many of them reject lots of complementarianism, and lots of complementarianism rejects those in that other camp. Right. So, um, in this book, though, we're not... <laughs> Uh, Beth fails to make that distinction and, in fact, completely ignores it altogether. Um, Christians, she says, you know, she kind of starts the book, and most of the the notes that I have are, are really just the opening of the book, starting on starting on by page fifteen. Um, we've got the wage gap lie. Okay. Um, totally buys into and reiterates the whole. Um, women's work is less than men and and women get paid less for the same jobs which we know statistically and by the numbers is not true but it's easy to pair it it's easy to say i'm not going to spend a ton of time on that if you guys are curious about the wage gap um we've talked about it before i think if you go back in our feminism episodes we've spent time on that so i'm not going to do that again um but it's just it's untrue Um, And she says on page 15 that it proves that society views women's work as quite literally worth less than a man's um, based on that. In page 18, she makes the very standard argument that uh, equal worth, like we can't mean that we believe that men and women are worth the same if we don't give men and women the same roles. So this, again, is just very standard. I'm just, it, it's feminist. Right. These are feminist lines. Um, on page 19, she says that Christians and complementarians make the claim that women's work is worthy, but that same work is, deme- is deemed unsuitable for a man to do. And it reveals the truth. Women's work is less important than men's. Continuing on. Page 24, women should proudly claim their roles. This is what complementarians and the patriarchy believes. Women should proudly claim their roles as supporting actors because this is God's divine plan. Women past uh, were just as women present are and and should continue to be subordinate. So, again. Just so we're clear, men are also the supporting actor. There's no human main characters here. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Um, on page twenty-five, she um she is a she teaches and uh, she's a, a historian. She says it over and over in the book. My modern students balk at how Babylonian law allowed husbands to drown their wives for alleged adultery, but my students all are also living in the state of Texas in which women make up 94% of the victims in domestic partner murder-suicides, not to mention the United States, in which almost 25% of women have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner. This evidence shows not only the continuity of patriarchy from ancient Mesopotamia to modern America, but also the continuity of its dark underbelly. Okay, (laughs) I'm sorry. Shouldn't Christians, she asks at the end of this paragraph, who are called to be different from the world, treat women differently? What if patriarchy isn't divinely ordained, but is a result of human sin? So this is one example of the page-by-page line drawing without any evidence that Beth makes between 
uh, women having a hard time and patriarchy. Mm -hmm. So if you read this line of thinking, it's like, we think that these ancient Far Eastern people had bad laws about women. But what about Texas and like women? women freely enter into promiscuous, uh, um, numerous engagements with sexual partners and that's totally different i mean like i don't even understand how Listen, the as statistics a as would... not a historian i'm completely aware that the conditions that women lived in in ancient babylonian times are nowhere near the same as anyone currently living in texas right and the com there is no common denominator right there is no common denominator and the reason that it's no longer that in texas you're not allowed to drown your wife is uh, because our nation was founded on the Christian idea right. of the image of God and rights that right. are unalienable. Um, and just as a historian, this should be just plain on its face that, and that's what I mean is that over and over in this book, these claims are made that are just absolute, that it's absolutely wild. Right. Um, and in and well, would you say comparing deep historical sufferings mm. with moderate the moderate inconveniences of our like you said like women having a hard time is now being compared. Well, she's with, saying right, but she's saying you know well there's domestic abuse, but yeah, but that's against the law. Right, the women living in Texas right. that experience domestic abuse, they have a way to use the law to seek damages right. for, and that's not true of the ancient Near East. So I don't even this kind of point that right. she does it the point she's trying to make doesn't exist. It only right. works if you're not thinking critically okay. about what is being said. Right. And that's how the mo majority of the book goes. Okay. Um is she well I I really don't mean for this to be rude, but like is she actually she said she has students. Is she like yes. a historian and teacher she somewhere? Teaches. Yes. Okay. All right. Correct. Okay. Um so I'm just going to keep taking you through some of the things that just these are so easy to respond to that I think that it's, they're worth mentioning to mm -hmm. just because I think a lot of people might come to a book like this and think like, oh, no, I don't know how to I don't know how to respond to that. Right. But if well, and it's because it's I mean, it's a book full of things. It's it seem it's really you wouldn't be able to respond to it mm -hmm. all at one time. No, 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 no. You can't respond. I'm right. I'm I'm gonna choose some highlights. Yeah. Um, to respond to. So, but they tend to be common. From what you said, it's yes, common I arguments. Chose the com common, yeah. Common things that you're not. It's not just about necessarily this book in particular. There, it's about yeah. this book, but then also you see a lot of the stuff out in the wild. Right. And she does say, you know, I think part of what makes the book. It's very um, readable. I think she's an engaging author. I think that she writes well. Um, but something to remember is, and she tells you this um, herself, is that this book and this movement of hers, because she says that she would have, she grew up complementarian. She okay. grew up believing these things. 
Um, but then, you know, she came face to face with the ugliness of it all um, when she encountered, you know, these mean, she had a, she had a mean boyfriend um, and she had a, a mean church experience okay. and that it essentially made her um, an activist. So there's a lot of personal stories interwoven with historical reviews and her husband getting fired as a youth pastor because they challenged, um, they were holding more of an egalitarian view and the church didn't. Um, and she does admit that all of this quote frames how I think about complementarianism today. She calls them traumatic experiences. She says that she's scarred and she'll always carry the scars. And so there's a lot of personal narrative there. Um, that moved her to this position. Yeah. So, um, I will say, yeah, there's a lot of emotion here. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, feelings. A lot, a lot of feelings. Yes. Um, she says on page 29, patriarchy wasn't what God wanted, but patriarchy was a result of human sin. So this is, this is her position. This is her position. (laughs) Um, she says on page 30 that before the fall, both Adam and Eve submitted to God's authority after the fall, because of sin, women would now turn first to their husbands and their husbands in the place of God would rule over them. So we have some really interesting definitions of the fall. Um, we're going to get a little bit more into it in a minute, um, that are just, are, are, they are radical, um, and then in a section titled The Historical Truth About Patriarchy on page 33, she said, as soon as humans forged, this was so interesting, as soon as humans forged an agricultural society and began to build structured communities, they also began to build hierarchies of power, designating some, some people as more worthy to rule than others. <laughs> I wish people could see her blank face. I mean, yes. (laughs) Right. I'm certainly more worthy to rule a country than my two-year-old daughter. Yes. Um, So we are, this is a very egalitarian lens. Right. Just the the idea that somebody might be more worthy to rule than others is factual. Well, or the fact that someone may be more able to rule would, would impress upon their actual worthiness. Right. Or how about that civilizations require agriculture and things being built and they also require people building homes, i.e. mothers having babies. This is all a part. Again, this is all a very natural part of society that we're supposed to find something broken in. Right. And the brokenness comes in. Well, because it's a construct. It's a social construct. It's not naturally occurring. It's not normative it's something we created and so now now that we're more evolved right and we can see the harm in it we need to dismantle it but that's not the bible's view of the home no at all this was god the home was god's idea and people ruling and hierarchies this is all built into nature and it's not a bad thing but you hear the critical theories coming Mm -hmm. out in the next page she says isn't it time we stop ignoring the historical reality that patriarchy is part of an interwoven system of oppression that includes racism. So 
you need to understand. Everything in this book is coming through a lens of oppressed, oppressor, systems of oppression, um, these hierarchies of power just instantly being a bad thing as opposed to something that God may have divinely appointed. Um, mm. Because this is going to reject all of that. And she tries to use the Bible to do this, talking about the quote-unquote biblical narrative. She says, we see a surprising number of passages. So she's talking about the New Testament. Um uh, she says, we see a surprising number of passages subverting traditional gender roles and emphasizing women as leaders. From the Samaritan woman at the well to Mary of Bethany learning at Jesus' feet. What was she, the leader of getting the water? <laughs> How many husbands can you have? I'm sorry. I know. But I'm joking. I, I kid. Know. But she's not, as far as what's documented, she's not a leader of any kind, right? No, neither. None of the examples that she gave in that paragraph were, quote unquote, any, any, was emphasizing women as leaders from the Samaritan woman at the well to Mary and Bethany. I mean, that didn't, that didn't happen. They were not emphasized as leaders. That if that is what you if you read the woman at the well, well, it also wasn't those stories are not an example of God being like, see how much I how much value I have given to women. Thank you. It's not like a cute little pat on the head that's like, I know. see how I mentioned it. See how I mentioned that I also love women. That it doesn't have anything to do with their worth and value. It's still his. It's still his story. Right. The story <laughs> of the woman at the well was not about. She was not a leader. She was an outcast. Um, and the story is about Jesus. Right. Actually. She's not the main character. Right. Also, yes. I, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Um, okay. So we're just going to keep going on. One thing that you'll notice in progressive writing is the overuse of the what if. Oh, yeah. Okay. We are, if, if I had a dollar for every what if I read in this book, mm -hmm. what if, what if? What if? Um, and I think what if is the path to deconstructing your faith. Um, if you see someone who's just what ifing just up and down, left and right, top to bottom, you're looking at somebody who is ready to deconstruct if they're not already. And the point of this is deconstructing biblical womanhood right. um, and gender roles and on and on. Anyway. All right. So in chapter two. Sure. She would agree with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think absolutely. Yeah. Uh, chapter two is called What If Biblical Womanhood. <laughs> Sorry. What if biblical womanhood doesn't come from Paul? So uh, the chapter starts starts off with um, she's really into the medieval times. Okay. She's a medieval historian. Okay. And so after quoting some medieval sermons that say just wild things, listen, this is wild. I was not prepared for the wildness of this. <laughs> this is on page 44. What got Eve into trouble was loving her husband too much. And so the wedding ring isn't a symbol of the wife belonging to her husband. It is a reminder for wives to put God first yeah nay nay what if eve's sin wasn't 
disobedience. <laughs> what if she just loved that man so much? She just really wanted him to have she some fruit. She just really wanted him to have some fruit. That's it. Anyway, that this anyway, she says on the next page. Okay, so what if? We're going to play what if. What, let's reframe Eve. I mean, I've never thought of a movement that's tried to do that before. Let's reframe Eve. Moving on to the next page, she says, as we have seen from the medieval sermons, historical context suggests that wifely submission was not the point of Paul's writing, including the house, household codes. And she goes on to explain how the household, co- the household codes are actually resistance narratives to Roman patriarchy. She says on page 56, Here I was, a professor with a PhD from a major university, being told that I couldn't teach high school Sunday school. It hurt my pride. That's not the only reason I was upset. I could not teach because of his belief, this is somebody on faculty, that Paul told women to be silent and not to exercise authority over men. What if Paul never said this? What if, Joy? What if did, though? What if Paul never said this? What if we have simply misunderstood Paul because we have forgotten his Roman context? What if? Okay, so that's the argument. I just so you guys know, I've already given you the argument. If you're waiting for the argument, does yeah. she like expand on why? Um. Well, on how this is a resistance narrative. Like, how do we know that Paul didn't mean that? Um, Well, she says in the next page, um, on page 57, Paul declares that women are to be silent, subordinate, and reliant upon the spiritual authority of their husbands, right? This passage has become a major mountain for modern evangelicals, emphasized more than I think Paul ever intended it to be. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so... That's the argument. I have nothing. I mean, that's, that's, that's. So it was emphasized more. Uh-huh. Like Paul just kind of meant it as like a footnote, but people are just like treating it like mm-hmm. it's a big thing. Well, her argument is that it's that Paul's household codes were the op were there was patriarchy in the Roman world. And so the household codes uh, fit in kind of with the patriarchy a little bit, but not really. And we're all like, what if Paul didn't say that? Um, that's so like, if what if the Bible mm-hmm. was translated incorrectly? Is that what she means by Paul that didn't comes in say a different, that? That comes in a different chapter. Okay, okay. Um, which of I, that specific passage? It was just or just Paul. In it's general. a. It was because Paul wasn't actually trying to tell the women how to live. He was trying to give a resistance narrative. Which, but I, how it's a resistance narrative, we're not really ever told. Um, and since Paul did say that women are to be silent in the churches, just what ifing that into oblivion is not an argument. Right. What if the household codes didn't exist? Well, then the household codes would, d- wouldn't exist. Right. But they do. Right. And they're not really dealt with. We're given some Roman history, okay. and then we're just told, like, you know, what if, what if you, what if Paul didn't want you to focus on that? Do you mean what if I don't <laughs> want you to focus on that? Uh huh. 
Okay. Yes. So, you know, it's again one of those like Paul was just a man of his times type of uh, let's pull everything out of historical context. Let's he help. was just a part of his own social construct. Right. Yes. Which is, we've changed. We've evolved since we've then. We've evolved past that. We know so much more. Yes. Um, you know, we keep going on that we just keep being told that patriarchy is a pagan system that Christianity has essentially borrowed and that we have taken it from the world and then layered it on top of a book that it doesn't exist in. Um ignore the fact that we have a whole narrative about a man conquering sin, Satan, and death. <laughs> ignore the fact that the founder founders of our faith are called the patriarchs. Ignore the fact that Paul said women are to be silent. Um, we're going to talk more about traumatic experiences and bad ex-boyfriends, and we're going to make a case that God wouldn't possibly want you to feel yes. unworthy. Right. And I feel unworthy, so how could he want that? Yes. Um, so her, the main arguments that you have there would be that, so again, Paul was a man of his time. Um, let's really, let's de-emphasize submission and emphasize that husband and wives are both to submit to each other. Phoebe, you know, deaconess, Junia, female apostle, Ma Mary Magdalene preached the gospel, Galatians 3.28, um, these are all of the very, very typical egalitarian arguments that you find throughout the book. There's truly nothing, nothing new. Um, I will say what was really disappointing about the book is that she did not critically interact with any of the best arguments from the other side. Not, I don't believe she thinks there are any good arguments right. on the other side. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, like I said, personal narrative and then you have some quotes here and there. Like, of course, there's a Bill Gothard quote. I mean, just pull out the worst of the worst. I don't know a single complimentary. I do not personally know. I've been in evangelicalism for so long, and I do not personally right. know a single person who is just like, yes, I live and die by Bill Gothard or James Dobson or Tim right. LaHaye or Russell Moore. I don't. But these are the people that are quoted. We get very small, small quotes. Um. And this is how they're interact they're interacted with. So uh, DeYoung pointed this out in his review, and I noticed it as well, that she uh, goes after Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which I believe that's um, the Nine Marks guy. Why am I blanking on his name? Oh. Um... Summer. Why didn't I write that down? Capitol Hill <laughs> Baptist. There we go. You guys, as soon as I say the name, some of you are yelling it right now. Right. Um, big name. Why can't I think about us? I like don't even have anything in my brain right now. His name is Mark Deaver. Oh, yes. Okay. Deaver. <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Um, so Capitol Hill Baptist Church, that, that's his. He, they have a curriculum for one of their Sunday school classes. And she says... To this day, I grind my teeth over the church history series used by Capitol Hill Baptist Church. It paints a grim picture of a sordid, corrupt medieval church in which few people, except for a remnant of scattered monks and nuns, found salvation. That's on page 137. But DeYoung left us with a quote that are actually from one of the lessons, okay. <laughs> which I thought was just great. So that's what she says, that it's just it's painting a picture of a corrupt, sordid, stupid church. 
But what the lesson actually says in the very beginning is, common belief is that the Middle Ages was a truly horrible time period with no redeeming qualities. But the more we examine, we realize just how rich some of the theology was and how important many of the people and events are during this time period. Okay. Well, yeah, that probably at least mm-hmm. felt a little good as a as you know a medieval historian hearing that. Yeah, <laughs> it really mm-hmm. felt good, but also a little inconsistent <laughs> with. She what also she, said. Yep. <laughs> she also treats John Piper really unfairly, um, in one section. And again, if you want to, I'm not going to go over all of those. I, the the proof, if you want to read it, it's in Kevin DeYoung's article. But over and over, she treats the other side extru- it just flat out untrue. Okay. Her claims about the complimentary. And p- produces quotes that are going to automatically align you like with her yes. presupposition and Yes. Okay. Um another thing that I thought was really uh lacking in intellectual honesty and fairness um, is, of course, you know, it is very, very popular. One of the ways that um, I think this side of the aisle believes that you can take down a conservative view um, of gender roles is to bring up the issue of the eternal functional subordination of the sun, the Trinitarian controversy. Bring that up and you just, you've won is kind of the attitude, Mm -hmm. um, which is just really silly for many reasons. Um, She actually uses the word, when she finds out that Christian, if they're, when she finds Christians that believe in this, which there's so few of them that I don't know how she's done so. But when she finds, she actually says that they've converted to another religion. She used the word converted. It was very strong. Um, it's heresy and you've left Christian orthodoxy. Now, listen, we don't hold to ESS or EFS. Um, however, on page 94, she said, as a historian, I immediately recognized the eternal subordination of the sun as Arianism. Okay. EFS is not Arianism. And if we're going to be careful about our Trinitarian heresies, Mm -hmm. which we should, Arianism is a heresy named for this guy named Arius. He was a false teacher. We are not Arians. Arianism is heresy. Yeah, we agree. (laughs) Um, He's from the fourth century. And one of the debates that was really, really important among early Christians, something that you have to get right, is the subject of Christ's deity. Mm -hmm. So is Jesus truly God or was he created? Now, Arians denied the deity of Christ and no one currently holding to the ESS position denies the deity of Christ. Now there are problems. There are lots of problems with ESS and I do not hold to it for many reasons. However, (laughs) the way that they are painted in this book is completely untrue. Arianism is not EFS. EFS is not Arianism. This is not, this, this is just not true. It's not accurate. And I'm just surprised that it passed right. whoever edited the book. Um, so anyway, just uh, I thought that was an important, an important point to make. Um, so my major, like I said, I can't respond. This, pa- this book is how many pages? 
you know, it's 200 pages and um, none of you want me to stand here and respond to every single right. um, problem in it. But the big thing I want to talk about is that over and over a theme in her book is about setting women free. And there are several chapters where I wrote, and you can see it, that um, her observations equal not always wrong, but her conclusions equal mostly wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's very common. <laughs> there that's are common it's for since the beginning of time, really. Well, not all time, but. Right. Her observations <sighs> are sometimes accurate. Um but the conclusions that she's making from the observations, like this is where the dividing line is right. between mm-hmm. she and I. Um, she wants women to be free. And I want women to be free. But the question is, free from what to right. what? Mm-hmm. From what? Free from their unworthiness to worthiness. To what? Um, And... That's my problem with the book is that I believe her answer would be free from womanhood, Mm -hmm. free to make womanhood whatever you want it to be. Free from the social construct of what womanhood is. Free to be what you want to be. And here's the deal. I don't believe you are free to be what you want to be. I believe you are free to be what God has told you you are Mm -hmm. and there is no true or real freedom if your feelings are the guide and the goal of setting women free i don't believe that we are (laughs) i mean my goodness i'm not gonna go with that with that argument but i don't believe that uh Free from constraint, free from rules, free from expectations is true freedom. And I believe that that's a really immature view of freedom. That's what that's what toddlers think. They think if they're free, free to sit in right. their car seat how they want, that that's freedom. Free when from authority. Free from authority is, is what she thinks we should be free from. Mm-hmm. Um, and God set us up in a world where we are to live... And interact with authority in a certain way. And I'm sure she would agree with that. However, um, well, I mean, as you know, I'm not an egalitarian. Right. Uh, And I do believe that submission in a way is mutual. But women are called to submission in a way that men are not. Just as women, you know, I said the other day, women are called to the home in a way that men are not women are called to Christ-likeness in a way that men are not. What do I mean when I say that? I mean that we don't confuse our anthropology with our soteriology. I'm made in the image of God and I am just as much valuable as any other image bearer who is not a woman. However, I'm never going to image God in the way that my husband does because I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. And there's this new movement that is very dark that I think is reaching its tentacles into a lot of things where they do not want to emphasize maleness or femaleness. They want to de-emphasize it and just say, well, we're all human. We're all human. And let's erase gender. And my goodness, doesn't that remind you of some other movements currently happening in the world? Um, 
God, there is, there, there are no instructions in the Bible that are not aware of your maleness or your femaleness and that God has no goal for your life that is genderless. You will never reflect God's image genderlessly. Mm-hmm. And this kind of genderless utopia where we all get to just be whatever we want to be um, is pagan. It's like, it's really Gnostic. Mm-hmm. It's like a gender Gnosticism. Well, and I'm sorry, but isn't it all kind of based off of the idea that men get to do whatever they want? Right. Which is just completely false. It's looking <laughs> over, it's the perception that men have more freedom and more worth. So it's actually self-perpetuated. It's a projection. And then looking, so it's, it's a perception that they have more worth because Mm -hmm. they get to do things you don't, or they get to have experiences or this is what their schedule looks like. And Mm -hmm. and so it's a perception that that equals more worthiness. Yeah. Um, And then you feel as though you should be equal in value, but that's not actually, it's all, coming from you it's not yeah i mean in a way it is a construct just not in the way that you are thinking right i think something too just to remember and be encouraged by is um there are so many women that don't want there's so many christian women that have no desire to act or live like a man right oh yeah um i love hearing from christian women who are like Mm -hmm. i'm so glad i don't have to get up and leave the house and clock in today and you know what my husband does and i don't have to do that and um that's not denying that i do believe that we work very hard at home and i do believe that running a home is a lot of work and i here's the thing though i believe it's a lot of really valuable work i don't have this negative view of women being at home as though it's a lesser job. And uh, I just think there are a lot of people out there who do. This book definitely treats right. it that way. Well, and it, yeah, it's very, it obviously, sh- again, also not a historian, <laughs> but, um, you know, that is very on the nose for our culture. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, this is, this was not, not saying this has never been a struggle and anti uh, authoritarianism has never been a struggle. That's obviously always been a struggle. Humans like to be their own authority. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is just even the concept of worth and value. That's why, like you said, like it's like freedom from what to what? Like we're not even speaking the same right. language. No. Because you have decided that the uh, you can create this this value um in humans based off of how much they've quote unquote reached their potential, right? How much they've traveled and experienced, how actualized are they? And because women are being trapped at home, they're not getting to do that, but men are, but that's not actually a real representation of the world. Right. It's untethered Um, from reality. And like, I, I can't even tell you how many men I know that are not doing their dream job but are cheerfully showing up Faithfully, to a job yeah. that um, pays their bills plus some, blesses their family, blesses their church, blesses those around them. They get health insurance and that's, that's they're not they out there actualizing. No one's <laughs> like, right. it's just, that's, that is the general, mm-hmm. that's generally what's happening is that men mm-hmm. are leaving and working hard. Right. And then hopefully the women are staying home and working hard. Just so you guys know, everyone 
we're all working. Right. Uh, if you if you uh, resent your work, that's not actually your partner's problem. Right. That's or actually fault. you, your <laughs> right. thing right. that you have going on. Right. So the whole idea, I guess, you know, the making of biblical womanhood as if there's not a thing. And this is the thing that we need to be freed from uh, is the, is this idea of this biblical womanhood. And of course it ends with a lot of what ifs. What if we followed the example of Jesus who let Mary of Bethany sit at his feet? What if we realized what if what? that even what when the male that? right disciples pushed women is away? Is this like a conversation? What is this? Co- what if? like it's bring limit it's bring women into leadership the goal is more okay so there's a comparison between jesus and your church leadership so are you saying you want to sit at the feet of your leadership (laughs) no make the women jesus oh i don't know i want to sit at their feet but i also want to be able to talk (laughs) so i'm sorry yeah i mean just remember jesus great point beth jesus or mary was sitting at his feet listening just FYI. Um, so, it, but anyway, the whole idea is it ends with go be free. Like, be free to do these things. Be free to be in leadership. Don't be pushed aside by the men. According to who? Her? Well, Just, is she giving us, like, well, she's giving us permission? Yes, thank you. Complementarianism is patriarchy, and patriarchy is about power. Neither have ever been about Jesus. I just want to say, like, Jesus is king. Like, you want to talk about power? a political role involving power. You want to talk about power? Jesus is the most powerful. All power, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And now we submit to him. And if that's not patriarchy, (laughs) then I don't know what God the Father in heaven you're praying to. Right. And it is the most freeing. To submit to Jesus is the most freeing thing that you can do. And wives are told to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, the most authoritarian, powerful one in all of creation and outside of it. (laughs) So, you know. Well, and if the answer is like, well, Jesus you know, is the embodiment of love. He is love. And he would never make me yes, he do would. anything <laughs> that I didn't want to do. And he would never make me feel any certain type of way. Yes, he will. Yeah. That's the point. Jesus will crush that you. That is the point. Jesus will crush you. Like, all a of supernatural his act takes place where he, yes. you, of you're, you're not choosing it. And he changes you. Yes. And he, and not with your permission. Right. By the way. Right. I know. Yes. All of Jesus's enemies are currently being made a footstool. And if you are not submitting to him, you will be crushed under his feet. The, Jesus is about power. He has, right. he has all of it. And he has all authority. And you're just, you just get to be on his team. This isn't about like what freedom. Freedom is submission right. to Christ. And that message is entirely missing in this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's entirely missing. Power is a bad thing. Submission is a bad thing. Um, freedom is found in questioning. Oh, and the what ifs. What right. if, what if, what if? 
Well, you don't be what if Jesus. And then making the story of the well and so many other points in scripture all about the women. I mean, talk about. Oh, you mean that great leader, the woman at the well? <laughs> right. Jesus said a lot of things right. to her. You know, all yeah. of them only made her feel good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to say. But that was still love in love. I want to encourage all the women listening to this who are probably surrounded, who might be surrounded by a lot of this kind of teaching that um, Jesus wins and uh, don't don't be deceived. Just that's don't. a huge I would say if someone is willing to show you their cards enough to ask you, like, are you ready to be free? Mm-hmm. that is your moment to say free from what to what free from what to what yes that is and she asks she tells you to be free mm-hmm. yes you're not in violation mm-hmm. if anything you're in celebration mm-hmm. by asking you're in celebration of your human faculties mm-hmm. <laughs> and your ability to ask yeah definitely ask that <clears throat> question and definitely just be very cautious of anybody who is just encouraging you to to just come along and discover something that you know Christians for thousands of years haven't discovered. Whenever whenever someone's discovered something new, right. or they just want to deconstruct the faith of the last two thousand yeah. years and find something new in it. And what if Paul hadn't said that? Well, just you're in a bad place. You're talking about people that truly believe man was illogical and evolved into a logical man mm-hmm. that's the influence mm-hmm. which is that we ex- as we exist right now are more enlightened are more enlightened and of course there are some things we know more about duh duh <laughs> microscopes telescopes okay okay duh. duh duh we have little surgery robots that can go inside your body duh <laughs> but the fact that that people think socially morally and philosophically, we started off grunting, going, fire, good. <laughs> That's the influence. Right. Right. Imagine thinking Paul was just a man of his time. And I mean, influenced by God. God breathed. But, you know, that Paul just really let's throw some shade. Did he mean if it? Only what God, if? if only God had used people from our time. Right. Then the Bible would say something completely different right. than we think. Mm-hmm. Watch out for that. Anyway. Yeah. It's not too late to join our book club. Come read a book with us. um, Different. A book that I really agree with. Right. Uh, It's called No Mere Mortals by Toby Sumter. It's not too late. We are only discussing chapter two this week. So that's at patreon.com slash sheologians. And if you just absolutely loved this episode you can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475 and we will see you all next week see ya